Jesse Douglas Smith McGraw, and this is What Moves You with Jesse. I'm a transformative coach on a mission to share an understanding of how our minds work that challenges how we react to life and our thoughts. I love to share stories and common sense ideas that empower you to take charge of yourself in a way that brings immediate and profound change. What I know to be true is that we are all innately healthy and doing our best with the thinking we have available to us on a moment-to-moment basis. And waking up to this will change what moves you. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. Today, I am so excited to be joined by an incredible human being who um, really moved me when I first met him. His name is Jose Ariano, and he is the Director of Case Management and Navigation at Homeboy Industries. Um, when I first met Jose, I'm going to, before I before I bring him on and uh, I'm going to make him feel uncomfortable first. Uh, (laughs) The first time I met Jose was at an event with Tom Vazo, who is the CEO of Homeboy Industries. And we were doing an event for his book, Homeboy Way, which um, as you guys all know in the pod squad that we have had Tom on the, on the podcast as well as father Greg from Homeboy Industries. Um, And we did this live event um, for the people of Homeboy Industries and for the public to all come around and to learn more about the Homeboy Way, Tom's book. And I was so delighted that I was actually joined by Jose on stage for this interview that I moderated. Um, And I was so incredibly moved by his authenticity, by his kindness, um, by how open he was to share himself with the community that was sitting there around. And, uh, there was no, there was no filter. And I was so touched that I was sitting there interview with the intention of interviewing Tom and father Greg, because those are the only two I, I, I had prepped in my mind. And when Jose was thrown in, I was like, Oh man, I just want to talk to Jose for an hour. <laughs> so I'm going to bring him on. Jose, thank you so much for joining us here at What Moves You with Jesse. Oh, thank you, Jesse. Um yeah. really appreciate being here. And yeah, same ditto. That's a big boomerang. Yeah. You, <laughs> special about you, you know, the way that you carry the conversation and the way that you're able to connect all the pieces and and bring everybody that was in that conversation to this place of like understanding each other. And, and I think we all walked away with something that day. And uh, I really appreciate that. So when you asked me to come on, very humbled and honored. And so, yeah, thank you, Jesse. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jose, man. I love that boomerang. The biggest ditto there ever was. (laughs) I love that. So Jose, I really would love Um, for you to start us at the beginning, if you're open to that. Um, I would love for you to share with everybody where, you know, obviously you and I have met at Homeboy when you are now part of the leadership team. So 
the question is, as a, I know that this is a loaded question. How did you get there? <laughs> so whatever bubbles up first, and then we'll go from there. I would love for you to start sharing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a long story, uh, but I guess I'll start, I'll try to, you know, try to, I'll start, you know, how I grew up, you know, I grew up and uh, I'm third generation gang member. Uh, I was, you know, my mother's a gang member. Uh, all my uncles are gang members, uh, my cousins, and we all, uh, we're all from the same gang. We all eventually got into the same gang. Um, but when I was growing up, I actually didn't want to be a gang member. Uh, I remember growing up and, and really like seeing, uh, the effect that gang culture and, and everything else that came with that alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, uh, the effect that it had on my family, you know? So I grew up really fast and at a young age, I understood that the things that were happening around me, they first and foremost, they didn't feel right. And I knew deep in my heart that it just wasn't right, you know? Um, but, you know, we become, we be, we, we're human beings and we adapt, you know, and that's something that's very special about us. Uh, but it's also, it, it can also be, you know, a negative thing about us as well. But, uh, you know, so I grew up in that environment and uh, it was, so I had an older cousin that he also felt the same way I did because when we were around nine or 10, we made a pact in my grandmother's backyard. And uh, I remember he called me over to him and he was a little bit older than me. And he said, uh, he said to me, he said, hey, promise me no matter what happens that you and me will never get jumped into the water, which means we'll never get jumped into a gang. And I shook his hand like, yeah, you know, with certainty, you know, I'll never get jumped into the hood. You know, and we promised one another. We promised each other that we would never get jumped into the hood. And uh, fast forward and, you know, with, with gang members comes everything like I just mentioned, alcoholism, drug abuse and my mother went from being a full-fledged gang member to also being a drug addict, you know, and, uh, you know, as we all know now in society, those, that disease gets progressively worse. And so the summer right before junior high school, uh, one, my cousin got jumped into the hood and his circumstances were similar to mine, but he didn't consult with me and he didn't say, Hey, you know what I'm thinking about getting in uh, just from one moment to another, he was from the hood. And at this time, like I said, my mother was, her disease was getting progressively worse and uh, methamphetamine, you know, had plagued our community and uh, she became addicted to methamphetamine and uh, we became progressively poorer. And, uh, you know, our electricity was getting turned off, even our water bill. So we grew up really, really poor. Um, and a lot of it because we were already poor, but then a lot of it because of my mother's drug addiction. So I hated being at home growing up. So. I had down the street from where I lived, I had a friend who had like a semi-normal life, had his mom, his dad, uh, you know, and they ate dinner together and I loved being at their house, you know? And so as a kid, I would, I would frequent their house, but I didn't have a curfew growing up. So I could stay out till whatever time I wanted to. It could be, you know, two in the morning, whatever, three in the morning, and nobody was gonna come looking for me. Um, but like I said, you know, they had work in the morning or school or whatever they had going on. So the mother would have to ask me, you know, it'd be around like 10, 30 p.m. And she'd say, hey, Jose, you got to go home. You know, uh, you know, we got work in the morning or whatever. And so they would shoot me off to my house, which I hated being home. I hated being home. Um, and one night I go to his house and I knock at the door and somebody comes to the peephole, but they don't answer the door. And they had a side window. So I go to the side window and I knock and I said, hey, it's me, Jose. 
and they turned off the living room light and they turned off the TV um, to pretend that nobody was home. And I just remember feeling like so hurt, you know, um, and so alone. And I knew what I was going back home to. So I walked back home and I had been asked before to be from the neighborhood. And I always had a always had an excuse, always had a reason. I guess I was clinging on to this like this, this little, you know, this little bit of hope that that things can get better or that there was something else. Uh, but that night I went home and uh, there was two homies standing in front of my house, as there always was. And uh, one of the homies, he, he looks at me and I guess you could see it on my face. He says, hey, what's up, homie? Why you look so sad? Did your dog die or something? And I said, no, I'm not sad. I'm good. He said, you want to get jumped into the water? And before I could even consider it, before I can come up with an excuse, the words had left my mouth. And I said, yeah, I'll get into the neighborhood. I'll get in tonight. And uh, we walked across the street and they beat on me and they kicked me when I fell and I got back up and they beat on me some more. And after they were done beating on me, they hugged me and they embraced me and they whispered things to me like, I love you. We got you, you know. Um, and I share that experience because when you think about it, you know, as a society and even as I look back on that experience as a, as a grown man, you know, we got to ask ourselves, what would make a young boy endure such violence, you know, uh, endure such an experience that alters his reality forever um, in terms of like what love is, what acceptance is, what it, what being a part of is. Uh, I endured physical violence uh, because that's how broken I was. That's how hopeless I was. And what's interesting is uh, after I made that decision, you know, that decision altered the course of my life forever. Um, but about eight months after that, my cousin, the one that we made a pact in my grandmother's backyard, that we promised each other that no matter what happened, we would never join a gang. He was uh, he was shot in the face with a 12 gauge shotgun and he died at 14 years old. And these experiences, they begin to shape me. They begin to shape the way that I view myself. They begin to shape the way that I view the world. Um, and ultimately I was in bondage to, to what I felt about myself. Uh, and I went off to juvenile hall at 15, for four months, I came home. I went back at 16. I came out when I was 18. I went back at 18. I came out when I was 22. And I went right back at 22. Um, and I fought a life sentence. And uh, I thought, you know, my life was over. And throughout that span of time, I had fully accepted and fully embraced um, the fact that I was going to live and I was going to die like that. Uh, matter of fact, I remember being young and just understanding that death was at every turn and that, you know, seeing family members and friends and, and, uh, you know, they were passing away behind gang violence that once I realized like, Oh, this is my future. I began to pursue death. I began to chase it. I was no longer waiting for it. I remember around like 13, 14 years old, my mother's drug addiction had, had gotten really bad. And I used to daydream about my funeral. And I used to think like, I used to wonder, I wonder if she'll cry for me. I wonder if she'll change her life. I wonder if she'll, if she'll clean up if I were to die. And that was my life. 
you know, for so many years, that was my life. And uh, on my last term, I ended up getting six years um, and I still wasn't going to change. You know, I went back, back upstate uh, with the same mentality. I thought I was this character that I had created, this gang member. I thought I was that. Um, and then I had got word that my mother had died. I was in uh, Lancaster State Prison. And I remember getting word that my mother had passed. And by this time, our relationship was so estranged that even the times that I was home, when I was out on the streets, homies would come and they would tell me, they would say, hey, your mom's over here getting high. You should probably go check on her. And my response to them was, I don't have a mother, homie. Because that's how hurt I was. Yes. And I thought that at this point in my life, like nothing could hurt me. I had no feelings. Uh, I had no sense of like what, what love was or what love could be. And when I had gotten word that my mother had passed away, something inside of me broke. And I, all my life, I had stuffed down all these negative experiences. You know, the death of my cousin, uh, heartbreak and heartache, and my mother being a drug addict. I had stuffed all this stuff down. And I was going to do the same thing with this experience, you know, knowing that my mother had passed. But I just couldn't anymore. As much as I wanted to, it just surfaced this pain. It just continued to surface. And, and I remember when it, when it was happening to me, I didn't know what it was. I was like, what's happening to me? You know, here I am in prison. I'm all tatted up. I thought I was this, this dude, you know, this character that I had created that didn't have a sense of pain or, or love or didn't care about life or his future. And I would, I was literally, I would cry myself to sleep. I would, I remember I would wait for my Sally to go to sleep and I would cry myself to sleep because that's how sad I was. And then I started to realize why I was so sad. So I was, I was in the hole and I was on, this was my last shoe term ever. It's a shoe term is called a security housing unit. And you go to the hole for misbehavior while you're in prison. So it's like prison in prison and I'm in the hole. And I'm wondering like, what's happening to me? Like what's going on? And I started to think about my life. And I started to remember when I was a kid, I was a little boy. I used to watch this show called Family Matters. You remember that show Family Matters? Of course. Of course. And I remember being a little boy and I used to sit in front of the TV and I yearned for the family that I saw on the television screen. I wanted a dad and I wanted a mom and I wanted to go to school and I wanted to come home from school and tell my parents about my day. And that's why I was so sad. It wasn't just the death of my mother, but it was the, the last little bit of hope that I can have a relationship with her one day. You know, and, and I, as I began to get real with myself, deep within my heart, I felt like one day, like things can get better. Or, or we would fix things, her and I, you know, and I would have a mom and, and maybe there was this possibility that things can change. And here I was in prison thinking about my life and, uh, and I'm like, damn, you know, she's gone now, you know, and that little bit of hope kind of went with her. But I also being in that little dingy cell, I thought to myself, as I was daydreaming or as I was thinking about my past and what I wanted when I was a young boy, I asked myself, like, what is, what if there is something else? And if there is, like, could it, could it be for me? And then this thing in me started to surface as well. Like, I didn't want to die like that. 
I didn't want to die living like that. Um, so granted, I'm still in prison, but as time went by, um, I began to hear about this priest, right? You hear stories about this priest, you know, like, like this superhero priest that helps homies and, and loves gang members. But you, you know, for me, I was, I really never like gave it any, you know, really never gave it any hope because I never met a priest like that, you know, of the stories that I would hear. And so, um, you know, I came home, but this time when I came home, I came home really, really broken, Jesse. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew I was no longer the same. Uh, and I felt like coming home, it was only a matter of time before I was going to go back because that was the story of my life. You know, I was never out for longer than a year. And, uh, and that's the only way I knew how to live. And I didn't understand the stressors that were happening inside of me. I didn't know anything about PTSD, social anxiety, or paranoia. I knew nothing about those terms. I didn't, I didn't have any words to identify the feelings and emotions that were happening inside of me. But anyway, I stumbled across Homeboy Industries. And um, while I was, I was married while I was in prison. And when I came home, my father-in-law uh, happened to read a newspaper. And then the number of the homeboys was in the paper. And he gave it to me because he seen me really trying when I came home. And he said, give them a call, see if they can help you. And so I called, right? And, and it, was a, it was a trip because, so I called a homeboys and a homie named Eddie answers the phone. And he said, uh, this is Eddie with Homeboy Industries. How can I help you? And I said, hey, well, I'm looking for a job. Are you guys hiring? And he says, well, let me ask you a few questions first. I'm like, all right. He goes, uh, have you ever been locked up before? kind of question is that you know and i said yeah homie uh, i just got out he said okay he said uh have you ever been involved with gangs I'm like, who asks questions like this you know what i mean and i said uh yeah homie i'm from a gang he goes are you uh currently on probation or parole and i've never you know been to a job interview or called somebody asked to, to ask if they're hiring and they're asking me questions like this so i'm like I said, yeah, homie, I'm on parole. I'm on high control parole, as a matter of fact. And he goes, okay. He goes, let me ask you one more question. He says, do you have any visible tattoos? And I remember looking at myself. And back then, I was all tatted up. I had big block letters on me, and my face was tatted. And I remember vividly, like, looking at myself. And I said, yeah, homie, I'm all tatted up. And he says, okay, we'll give you a job. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, can you come down here today? And um, that decision changed the course of my life. Coming to Homeboy Industries that day, that decision changed the course of my life. Wow. Okay, pause. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I need everybody listening to know something. I am so moved. I am having a hard time to find words. So just give me a second. <laughs> But to look at Jose in the face right now <clears throat> is so mind-blowing. You are a beacon of light, sir. They're used to me crying on here, so it's okay. <laughs> Damn. Okay. By the way, you don't have half the tats that you're talking about. Is that all from removal? Yeah, it's from tattoo removal. 
dang because yeah. it is like healed amazingly well i because you don't look like they even existed in the first place yeah. wow jesus christ so your face was tatted also i had tattoos on my face both sides of my face oh my god I had big letters big black letters across my arms oh my god that's just mind-blowing yeah oh how are you doing after tell retelling all of that are you all right yeah i'm doing good i mean it's 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 always like it's always amazing to look back you know because and to really see like i feel like i've lived two lives to be honest in one absolutely yeah there's as as there's sometimes when like i'm telling the story i'm like damn like all that happened you know like all that happened and that's why i think too like in terms of what you're doing like with tom and g and being able to share this story it's so important not just because it's my story because it's it's there's so many more that have come before me have come after me is that it's possible yes that it's possible you know given all the barriers and all the circumstances and all the negative experiences that people human beings can heal yes given the right environment Yes. given the right circumstances given the right community um because if you were to like if, you know when i get pulled over you know and i'm and i'm on the executive leadership now team right now at yep. home but you know when i get pulled over and a police officer runs my name you know they don't see like what i've done all this all these years that i've been out they see my past and i remember for many many years you know i've been out almost a decade now but for years, the first thing that I would give them my ID and I would watch them go back to the car and then they would come back. And the first thing they would say is, hey, uh, can you step out of the car and cuff up because of what they see, you know? Yeah. When they get to know me and when they know the work that I do and, and the organization that I'm a part of and the community that I'm a part of, um, it's just it's not the same person that you see on that screen, you know, no. with that record. and. And that's what's so fascinating about this to me is that I was able to change. Like, I know what it was like to come home and feel like that. Yeah. I literally felt like I wasn't acclimating back into society. Like there was just something preventing me. And, and I mean, I know what it is now because of all the resources that Homeboy Industries has provided, therapy and meditation and yoga and all these healing components, right? Yes. But when I first came home, I had no idea what was going on inside of me. I had even stuffed the story down, like all the story, like all everything that had happened as a child, all that stuff was deep, deep, deep down within myself that I had to unpack it and I had to sift through it. And I had to heal from a lot of that stuff to be able to get to where I'm at today. Yeah. But it's possible, you know, with a community that's tender and compassionate and loving and inviting um you know father g has this saying he says uh and i don't want to butcher his words but he says something to the likes of um well we know all know this like hurt people hurt people but people that are are held in tenderness are able to hold people in tenderness yes. you know what i mean and and it's like the same goes like everything negative that happened well i was hurt so i was transmitting my pain I no longer transmit my pain because my pain has been transformed, you know? Yes. So, yes. Uh, so I want to go back a little bit. <clears throat> um, you, cause you've said quite a few very profound things and my, I, I 
I grabbed a hold of a couple of things that I would love to, if you don't mind me kind of opening up a little bit. Um, when you said, uh, when you were talking about the character that you had created in your mind, can you share a little bit about what that, what that means to you? Yeah. I mean, as I look back now, I know I was hurt and because of a, I was hurt unconsciously, I was creating this armor around myself, you know, this character, yes. uh, this, this idea of how I had to be and how I had to live and the things that I was willing to accept um, and the things I was willing to participate in based off of this role, you know, this character, this gang member and everything that came along with that. Um, but what I've realized too, and what's interesting and what I love about homeboys is that you can, I can see now like how us as human beings, we create, we create these characters, you know, and it can be, it can well, that's be. That's why I want you to talk about it. Cause I'm like, it doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, who's listening. Everybody ends up doing this to themselves. Right. Yeah. Keep and, going. And because it's like, you know, I can see it now because I've done it and I did it for so many years. So, and I think I, I put it in a way like this. It's like, you could feel it and you can sense it. It's like when you walk into a room and let's just say it's not gang members, let's just say it's executives or, you know, it's a team meeting and everybody is, you know, they're showing up with their character, their avatar. And, and when one person takes off the mask and when one person is transparent with who they are and what they love and what they're afraid of or, you know, what they're going through, you can see unconsciously how that invites others into that same space where we just want to be okay with being who we are and who we were created to be. Yes. Um, but yeah, so for many years I was this character and at homeboys, I felt like I had the opportunity to take the mask off yes. and it was so liberating. It was so liberating. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was unconsciously inviting others to do the same because they felt safe and comfortable around me and others that were doing it because it wasn't just me i mean i was able to do it because of others for me it was another gang member seeing another gang member in a group setting share bits and pieces about his life and not being ashamed of it and i remember sitting there going like damn i want to be free like him and then eventually i was able to take that step towards freedom and liberation and take the mask off yes wow <laughs> I know this is, it's been a while since you've been there, but um, in that kind of, that moment of you, like you say, it felt liberating to be able to take the mask off. Do you feel, do you remember, did it feel like it took a little bit of courage? It took a lot of bit of courage. Because <laughs> it's scary, you know, and we're human and we overthink everything. Yes. No, we have like, what are they going to think about me? Am I going to be okay? We also are so attached sometimes to the character. We go, if I'm not this, then what am I? Yes. You know, and that's scary. So if I'm not this gang member, then who or what am I? But, but when you, you know, on the other side of fear is freedom normally. Yeah. And uh, I remember, and I was, so I had another amazing experience at homeboys. We ended up going on a group and climbing Mount Whitney and I'm down with hiking and I'm down, but, but this was intense, right? It was extreme. And we got, and I was down with it all the, the, uh, you know, putting my body through that and, and, you know, the, 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 the hard hike and all that, but we got to this spot where 
it was a little scary. It wasn't like too dangerous, but it was a little scary. And I was afraid to cross. There was a, there was like these cables and we had to like walk alongside of them and get to the other side and homies. And Tom actually was on this hike as well. He was leading the hike. They were able to do it like nothing, but for whatever reason, my fear paralyzed me. Right. And I was like, damn, I can't do this. And I don't want to do this. And matter of fact, this is where I'm going to stop. But because we were in a group, all of us were going this way and we were going to go together. We could, it was like, leave no man behind. Right. And so we had to stop and Tom's talking to me. He's like, look, we all got to go together. We can't leave you here. You know, we got water, all of our food together. And we just were a team and we're going to roll together. And I was so scared. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go any further. Like I'm okay to just stop here. And I remember looking at a homie that had done it and he came back over and I look at him and for whatever reason, you know, what fatigue or whatever it was, I look him in his eyes. I said, homie, if I do this, am I going to be okay? And he, he reached out and grabbed my hand. He said, I promise you're going to be okay. And I did it. And on the other side of that, that portion of the trail that I was scared of was the most beautiful wonders was the feeling and sense of being with a team was, you know, not, not just that, but like me conquering the fear itself. And it was liberating and it was freedom on the other side of fear. And that's the same, like in our, you know, when we're going through this transition, when we're going through this, the, these doubts of if I'm not this, or if I no longer want to pretend to be this, who am I? The fear turns into freedom. And then it turns into this beautiful journey of realization and, you know, creativity and, and 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 just having a different experience with life altogether because now you're free to experience yourself and everything around you as if you're experiencing it for the very first time you know what i mean yes. but had we not because of the fear had we allowed fear to paralyze us we would never have experienced all those wonderful beauties and you know just i mean it's it's, it's it is scary but it's worth it yes yes it's worth it that's an incredible experience that you can use as a reference point or as an example of kind of, it was your experience like externally because it was the hike. But to me, it sounds exactly like what it feels like when you're taking the leap to actually meet yourself brand new again. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and there's something like not just freedom, but there's also like, like love, I think, and power in that. And in human resilience, and and I love I love witnessing that in myself, and I love seeing it in others. I think it's holy. I feel like it's divine. Yes. To experience that, like yes, I'm afraid, but I'm going to take this step forward anyway. Yes. Because I know I'm going to be okay. Yes. And where do you suppose that knowing you're going to be okay? What is that voice? Cause it's not your mind. Cause what's going on in the psychology of your mind is the fear, right? Is the story of the person is the story of the character. So the knowing you're okay, where do you suppose that's coming from? I feel like that's who we truly are. It's our spirit. I feel like it's our spirit. It's our connect, our connectedness to the divine Our, you know, to its source. Yes. It's the universe. It's, it's the creator. It's God, you know, it's a, uh, and but I also do believe that community helps experience that. Yeah. Like we can be a part of the holy, we can be a part of the divinity, 
and that experience when we're when we're doing that ourselves, taking off our masks, when we're saying, hey, like I remember this one time I went to a sweat lodge ceremony and we took a bunch of homies. Right. And we did a circle afterwards and everyone's going around. And they're like, oh, say one word about how you feel. And, you know, it'd be like one homie would be like, well, I feel blessed or another homie would be like, uh, you know, I feel hopeful. And I remember when it got to me, for whatever reason, I said, I don't like fighting. And it was in a circle full of gang members. <laughs> now imagine this, right? And, you know, you're in a circle full of gang members and everyone's tatted up and everyone's big, fresh out of prison. And the first thing that comes out of my, I don't like fighting. I don't like the way it makes my body feel. And I had to like, after the circle was done, I'm like, damn, what did I just do? You know? I walk off into the distance by myself to kind of like gather my thoughts and a homie walks up to me and his name is Sluggle. They called him Sluggle for fighting. Right. Oh my God. So you would just, you know, imagine, <laughs> right. He walks up to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Hey homie, I don't like fighting neither. You know what I mean? He goes, I don't like fighting neither, but because I was willing to embrace my truth. Yes. In front of everybody it did something, it, it kind of allowed him to embrace his truth, even if it was just internally for him. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. So I feel like as, you know, community, as, you know, society, like we can create this, this space where the, this, this divine thing can exist, you know, where G says you're exactly what God had in mind when God made you. Nothing can be added nor removed from you. Like you're it, you know, just exactly how you are and who you are, you know, but we, 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 we grow up in these cultures and these societies where it's like, you know, you gotta be this and you gotta be that. And if you don't drive this, you're not that, you know, or if you don't have this title next to your name, you know, you're not this. Now, all those things are great. They're feedback. You know, it's good to aspire towards things. But it doesn't make us nor break us, you know. We're exactly who God had in mind when God made us. Yes. And uh, and I think when we realize that truth, we're actually nicer human beings because we're content with who we are. We're not in competition with anybody. You know what I mean? 100%. And there's something special about that. Yes. It makes me think of um, God is so... Uh, it's just so delicious, everything you're saying. <laughs> uh, but when, you know, it's kind of what I'm going back to that idea of the the transformation on the inside. And, and thank you so much for all of that you're saying. That's so beautiful. And I knew where you were probably going to go when I said, what is the, where is that knowing come, coming from? But I, I just really wanted to hear it from you. So thank you. But, um, you know. I couldn't help it. I was already bubbling inside of me when you were talking about when you were in prison and you left there actually feeling more broken. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Cause the times before maybe you didn't feel so broken and, and because you were so in like the power of the character that you were in. Um, and this time, the, the, the last time when you were feeling more broken, because there was so much stirring inside of you of maybe this isn't all there is. I can't help but feel like there was, that was you waking up inside. That was you starting to see through the illusion of this character that you had created. Right. 
And then that's what's so amazing about, you know, the realization in and of itself is so powerful because that's what started to shift you, even though you didn't have words or um, resources at that point. But that's what started to shift you just to make just it's almost like, you know, when you're driving down the freeway and there's a car crash and we all do the rubbernecking thing and we stare at it going by. It's like to me, it's like up until that point, you were only staring at the car crash like that's my life. And then when you were what started to stir inside of you for that that last run in prison, it's almost like you started to realize you could look away from the car crash and there was something else available to you. And then community really helped you to go like confirm that for you and start to give you kind of a path forward. Does that resonate? hundred percent. And, and, okay. you know, and, but I believe you know, it takes what it takes for all of us. Yeah. You no, know, cause the character, it becomes comfortable, right? Until it doesn't anymore. Yes. Until it no longer suits us. Then it becomes uncomfortable. It's like wearing a tight ass pair of jeans. Yes. In the heat. In the heat, right? You want to just be able to go home and take them bad boys off and just go, <sighs> right? Yes. So for me, what would really begin to like get me to that that place of like, who? and I remember having this, this moment in the hole. We have these little square mirrors, right? And when I was going through what I was going through, the death of my mother, like asking myself, what is this thing that keeps surfacing this pain, this hurt? I remember looking myself in the mirror and uh, excuse my French. I, yeah. I said to myself, who the fuck are you, homie? Yes. And that was, but if you know, but it took what it took. And, you know, I, I share this and I tell people, I, and it is as crazy as this sounds, my mother had to die in order for me to live. Yeah. You know, and I honor her to this day. You know, I honor her on, on her anniversary. My mother did for me in death what she was not able to do for me in life. And for that, I will be forever, forever grateful to her. Forever grateful. That, that experience, it, uh, it, it, it changed the course of my life. It altered, just like, you know, all the other things, had, it altered my reality forever. And, uh, you know, and, and so I was able to start to have this sense of like, yeah, I'm not this. Because if I was, this wouldn't hurt so bad, you know? Yes. If I was this character that didn't care, that had no feelings, yes. it, this would, it wouldn't hurt this bad, you know? Yes. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, 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 it took what it took for me. And, uh, and I was able to, to start to ask these questions to myself, like, who are you, you know, and why are things like this? And, and that was the beginning for me and beginning to really like peel back that onion of my life. Yes. And it took time, you know, it, it was a process, but it was possible. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's what's so hopeful about this entire conversation. What's so hopeful every time I'm around homies every time, even, even the guys that maybe we would consider are 10, 50, 10 to 50 steps behind you. Like just being in community at homeboy industries. Um, you know, you met my husband at that talk we did together and that was his first experience being there. And he goes, 
I don't, I don't know what, I can't really explain the feeling that I'm having when we were driving away. And I went, exactly. (laughs) You know, I said, it's, it's such a deep feeling of, it's like the truth about humanity. It's like when, when we're with each other and we're, and we are, you know, really looking at each other in each other's eyes and actually holding love and care for each other, no matter where we are on the spectrum of figuring life out. And to me, that is what's possible. And what you and I have started to tiny bit talk about, and we've got other friends that we're talking to about this, but to me, that's what's possible for everybody to start seeing about humans, no matter where they are in the margins or otherwise. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely right. It's a place where you want to be at. You yeah. know, it's a place. I mean, I think we're drawn, I'm drawn to it because I know what it feels like to not be free of that character. I know what it feels like to continue to live a way that's harmful, but you continue to do it because you think you have to do it or you think there's no other way. You know, so to be in a community where people are consistently and constantly taking off their mask and saying, like, it's okay, you know, it's okay to be you fully, you know, and I see you, you know, and I see you fully and I love what I see. I love what I'm looking at. You know what I mean? There's something that's very palpable about that. G always says he says that Homeboy Industries is the porch of the house that everybody wants to live at. Yes. And it's we're just all hanging out on that porch, you know, enjoying ourselves and experiencing each other's presence fully. Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I said, Mike walked when we were walking away. Mike, my husband, he goes, I've never said I love you and hugged so many grown men that I don't know ever in my life. <laughs> I was like, but you can't help yourself because the love is just being given back and forth to each other so wholeheartedly that there's no, there's no, like you can't, you know, it's like when I talked to Tom and in the interviews that I've had with him, you know, and, and you know, admittedly he himself is even like, he is still unlearning a lot of his own character from his corporate life. Right. You know, to the point for anybody listening to this, you know, that it doesn't, it doesn't take you being, you know, somebody from, you know, third generation gang life to experience a character. It does not matter where you are in life. We all end up creating these ideas of who we think we're supposed to be, who we think we should be, how we think life goes. And then our world gets so small, right. And then in limited and possibility. Right. And that's why I love with, um, Something that that uh, Father Greg has said, uh, you know, is uh, I believe he got it from Buddhism and I've totally stolen it because it fits with my own work. But move beyond the mind that you have. That's right. Yeah, I love it, too. Right. And we're constantly doing that. Yes. Yes. And back to Tom, that's what he's even like, you know, admittedly, you know, every day waking up to. God, yet again, there's more for me to let go of inside of his mind, of his ideas of things, right? And because there's so much freedom, like we keep saying, freedom on the other side of that. And when we're tapped into that true, ver- truest version of ourselves, 
life gets really fucking good. That's if right. I right, it, it does. It really does, because you're you're then experiencing it fully. You know, we're, we're you don't you don't have to be in prison just physically. Like we can be in prison mentally and emotionally, and then I I think honestly that's an even worse prison because you're out here, but we're not really out here. I remember when I was locked up, man, and, and I was going through a tough time, and I met this. I've always had like these amazing experiences. That's why I said we can create. Like what is it? There, there's a scripture that says, "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Right? Yes. We can create these divine moments if we allow ourselves to, as human beings. There was this one dude. He was this. He was my Sally, and I was going through a tough time. This is when I was fighting life at 22. And uh, I was going through depression. I didn't want to get up and eat. And one day, this older man from Pakistan, like with this thick pa uh, Pakistani accent, he taps my bunk and he's like, I'm upset with you. And I'm like, you're upset with me. What the fuck you mean you're upset with me? Like, why would you be upset with me? And he says, I can't sit and watch you do this to yourself. And I'm like, do what to myself, homie? He's like, your body is in here, but your mind is somewhere else. And because of that, you don't have peace, Jose. Whoa. And it was like in that moment, I had this like, damn, he's right. He tells me, he goes, do you have the key to this cell door? I said, of course I don't. I'm in here with you. You know, I don't have the key to the door. He goes, do you know what's going to happen in court? I said, no, I don't know what's going to happen in court. He goes, you don't have no control over none of that. He goes, but if you keep your mind and your body in the same place, you will have perfect peace, right? And he allowed me to be fully present in that moment, okay? Not thinking about what was going to happen or what was yet to come or what, if I should have went left instead of going right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I say all that to say it's out here, we have that same ability when we're free of the bondage of self, when it's like, look, I'm okay just the way I am. I don't need all these extra things. They're great. And it's, it's amazing to have them. But it's but I'm also I'm I'm also enough, you know. I am the accomplishment. And when we do that and experience that, we're fully present with ourselves, and then we're fully present with those around us and everything that's happening around us, if that makes any sense, you know. 100 percent sense, Jose. Yes. And it yes. creates that divine thing that I'm saying. Like it's that like kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's yeah. It's feedment down here, just like it's up there, but we got to embrace it, the divinity, you yes. know, we got to accept it and, and, and experience it and see it. And you could reach out and touch it because it's there. Yes. It's ever present, but it's hard to see it when we're so concerned, you know, about who I need to be or, you know, how, I mean, it's good to have all these things, like I said, but of how much I should weigh and how skinny I should be and, all those things are great. I'm not saying they're bad things, but when we're consumed by them, then it's kind of hard for us to be present to the divine that already exists. You know what I mean? And yes, yes. It's like the difference between having um, thought, you know, thought being kind of like um, almost like a roadmap versus this like these like giant cement walls around you that's right exactly <laughs> exactly you know because then you're not moving anywhere anyway yeah you know we're just we're we're stuck and i've been there before i know what it feels like yeah so this hour 
we're almost to the end already. This is insane to me. I have a whole list of questions I didn't do, <laughs> but this has been so beautiful. Um, so tell us, like, so you tell us you climbed the ladder in Homeboy because you're part of a leadership team. So was that just from you? Were you just lit on fire from the inside of feeling like you had purpose and yeah, so I feel tell like, us a little bit like that about that. Yeah, that that I'm so proud and honored to be a part of the executive leadership team and and to just have the role that I have, right? To be able to to create experiences like the ones that were created for me when I walked through the door. I want to share this story with you because I feel like I believe our experiences they shape us, right? You know, they shape the way we view ourselves and they shape the way we view the world. Yeah. Um, and so I've had a lot of negative experiences growing up and I've had a lot of great experiences with just amazing people that I've come across. And so when I came to Homeboys and I started to get my life on track, I uh, actually located my, my youngest brother. So I was the oldest of five. It was uh, three boys, two girls. I located my youngest brother, my baby brother. And uh, I went off to prison. So when my mother died, he was like 15. So he was pretty much left to fend for himself. All of them were. All of them were. Um, so they grew up how they grew up, very rough and rugged. Um, so when I found him, I came to Father Greg and I said, hey, gee, I found my baby brother. Can I bring him? He said, sure, son. You bring him, we'll put him in school and we'll give him a job. And I was so happy. And I, I felt just I love Father G. Mm -hmm. And so I bring my little brother and back then, my little brother, he didn't speak much. Uh, he didn't he didn't really talk. The only way he knew how to express himself was physically and violently. And I didn't know why at the time, but I found out later why. Um, we got to know each other really well. And I got to know a lot of the things that he endured as a kid. So uh, back then, and this is years ago, I was like 50 pounds thinner. So him and I used to wear the same size clothes. We didn't have much back then. And like I said, Homeboy Industries is a place where people see you. You know what I mean? They don't watch you. They see you. And there's a world of difference in that. And so if I had this shirt on today, my brother would have it on tomorrow. And same goes for the pants. And But we grew up like we grew up like not asking people for things and not accepting help, really, because we, we, we figured that if you accepted something from somebody, you were going to owe them something in return. Oh, and yeah. So we would just look out for each other when we first came to Homeboy. And one day we're coming in and the homie at the front says, hey, Father Gene wants to talk to you guys. So I'm like, damn, I look at my little brother like, what did you do, homie? You know what I mean? We're in trouble or something. We go into G's office and he has these two Sears cards. And we hadn't asked anybody for anything. We didn't tell anybody our situation. But he has these two Sears cards and he, he slides them across his desk. And he says, take these cards and go buy yourself some clothes. And we're like, nah, we're good, pops. We're like, we don't need anything. We're okay. Like, we got everything we need. He says, son, take these cards and go buy yourself some clothes. We took the cards reluctantly and we left. We're going down Alameda. And we grew up like, you know, and I'm ashamed to say this, but this is how we grew up. I used to tell my brother, don't ever cry. Don't ever, especially in front of anybody, because it'll show weakness and they'll take advantage of you. Okay. That's just to give you context of how we grew up. I look over and my little brother's in tears and he's crying. He's sobbing, actually, uncontrollably. And I said, hey, homie, why are you crying? And he looks at me and through his tears, he says, why the fuck do they care about us so much? Why do they care about us? He couldn't wrap his head around it. Now, in that moment, I didn't have the words, 
But in my heart, I knew I remember looking at him and 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 I felt like and I if I can go back and say it, I was I, I would say it because you matter, homie, because you're worthy, because you're a great kid. That's why they care about you, you know. But that experience reshaped my heart forever. And another experience that altered my reality forever. I knew in that moment that I wanted to do that for others. I knew without a doubt that I wanted to be a part of creating experiences that help people feel their own self-worth, that help people feel like they were important, that help people even with, with getting them clothes or food or whatever it was. Like I knew in that moment that I wanted to be a part of that. And I no longer was going to be a part of anything negative in the gang culture. And so from that moment on, any task they put me on, I was on it. Like I was all in. If it was, I was on the uh, maintenance crew. When it came to those restrooms, I mean, I had, they were spotless, you know, <laughs> when, uh, when they moved me to security, I made sure that the community felt safe. When they moved me to uh, employment services, I made sure I did everything I could to help connect homies with jobs. You know, it's like at that moment, I just wanted to create the experiences that homeboys had created for us. And, and, and that's how it kind of worked for me, I guess. I'm pretty sure I can hand on heart say, yes, that's how it worked for you. <laughs> but what I'm taking from that, Jose, that's so huge and something I think that's important for people to really hear in their heart is that it is important to really see people for who they are, not what they do. That's right. Right. That's right. Because just like you said, you know, you've, you had that first chapter of your life that feels like a different life to you now, but you had that first chapter of your life. And yet you were that little boy in front of TV, watching family matters. Absolutely. Just, a, just, you know, an untethered soul that was completely ready for anything that life was going to hand to him. And, um, that is how every single human being starts out this life. We don't come out wanting to hurt people. Just, it's just not the way it goes. No. no. Oh man. Okay. Well, Jose, I have one final question for you that I ask everybody at the end of their interview. You can answer it. However, whatever bubbles up for you first, emotionally, spiritually, practically, I don't care. Just whatever feels important to you to say. Um, and frankly, it kind of matches the entire conversation anyway. So I don't think you're going to have to reach, reach far for the answer to this. <laughs> but Jose, what moves you? I feel like I really, um, I enjoy seeing people step into the truth of who they are. You know, I really like, it's inspiring to me to see like that light begin to shine in human beings. And I feel like we all have it, you know, we're all capable of allowing ourselves to see that. Um, and so what moves me is, yeah, seeing human beings step into the light of who they are and realizing that they're worthy, yes. that they're worthy. I couldn't have said it any better. I feel the exact same way. That's right. 
Jose Ariano. I mean, king, man, a king of your own universe. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing a teeny tiny piece of your history and your story. Um, it is such a gift for every single person that tunes into this podcast that they get to hear you. And I am beyond grateful that you would be willing to let me be the microphone to that for you. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. It was great. I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. Let's we'll be in touch. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Jose. Jesse. Bye. Thank you for listening to what moves you with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram at what moves you with Jesse. Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at whatmovesyouwithjesse.com. And please rate and review the show and let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.